Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Exodus chapter 19. Today as we return uh, here to the book of Exodus, we're going to turn to Exodus 19. This is an important chapter um, as it precedes and it sets up the giving of the law. Specifically, uh, you know, the law includes, it's not limited to now, but it includes obviously uh, the Ten Commandments. And so I'm looking forward to covering each one of uh, the Ten Commandments, but there's a, there's a few things that we must say uh, by way of introduction to uh, the Ten Commandments and to the law in general, including what we're going to read here in Exodus chapter 19. So, so if you have your Bibles open to Exodus 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Follow along as I read. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day... They came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, and while Moses went up to God, uh, they, there they encamped um, before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord, Lord called out to him, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, co my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Verse 7, and so Moses came, and he called the elders of the people, and he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words uh, of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in sight of all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready. For the third day, do not go near a woman. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, what we've just read reminds us that you are a holy God and that it is an amazing privilege for you to give your words to us. 
Moreover, Lord, it, it helps us to appreciate that we have received a sacred obligation. It helps us to understand um, what that obligation is and how we may honor it and, and learn to live in your presence, God. Anoint me, Lord, to preach your word this morning with authority, with accuracy. I pray that, Lord, you'd please use me to communicate your truth to your people for your glory and give us all ears, Lord, to hear. Please, Father, rebuke all hindrances, including fear and doubt. And, Lord, release your Holy Spirit to accomplish your good will here in our lives this morning. Call sinners to repentance. Call saints, Lord, to righteousness. But point us all to your Son, Jesus Christ who is our only hope for salvation. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. There's this, um, if, you have, if you have watched um, the Lord of the Rings movie, or maybe you've read uh, the books, there's this stirring scene near the end of uh, the Lord of the Rings where Frodo and his, his friend Sam, they're stranded and they're spent on the side of Mount Doom as it, as the mountain itself, it fractures into pieces and it erupts with fury and, it, and fire. And, and they, have, they have completed their quest and now it seems that they're going to perish here. They're going to die in this foreign land, Mordor, far from home. But instead, um, if you remember the scene, eagles swoop in and they carry, carry both of them to safety. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that... Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was specifically inspired by Scripture or, or this passage in particular to include that scene in his novel. Um, but it, it does provide for us an, an image that helps us to appreciate how God describes his deliverance of the descendants of Israel here in verse number 4. God says, to them, I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to, to myself. Of course, uh, nature gives us another image, probably more accurate uh, uh, image. I've heard that when an eaglet, a young eaglet, reaches maturity and they're, they're ready to, to fly, that the mother will stir up the nest to uh, remove the materials that has that has made the um, nest soft and it's comfortable. And sometimes during that during that process, either accidentally or sometimes maybe even intentionally, the eaglet will be ejected from the nest and will begin to fall to the ground. And um, that's how eaglets learn how to fly out of necessity. <laughs> They're thrown out of the nest, and they have to struggle and learn uh, how to fly. However, uh, if, if the eaglet cannot or does not fly, then the mother uh, quickly flies down and will catch it, rescuing it from danger and then carrying it back up uh, to safety. And, and that's, that's what God said that he did for his people Israel when they were ejected from Egypt. The Bible says that he carried them through the wilderness and he brought them to a place of rest and, and a place of security. Now listen, they, they may not have felt 
very safe during the process. They, they might not have felt too secure um, during, along the way because, you see, although, although we can see the beauty and the majesty of, a, of an eagle swooping in to catch an eaglet on its back and carrying it off to safety, how many knows? Um, I imagine that the experience could be pretty terrifying to the baby eagle, right? <laughs> I mean, I would like to see that, you know, an eagle swoop in and catch her, her baby and carry it back up to the nest. I wouldn't want to be the eaglet that's falling from the nest <laughs> and gets caught and carried back up uh, to the nest. And so here's the thing. Israel may not have appreciated, may not have fully understood that God had carried them to where they were because, heaven knows, we've been talking about it. The ride itself, the journey itself was a little bit uh, bumpy. It had some bumps along the way, didn't it? It was, it was a little bit scary, in fact. But the fact remains, all along the way, all along the way through as the song says, here's the way the song says it, through every danger, toil, and snare, they had been lovingly preserved by the providence of Almighty God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? He said, I carried you on eagle's wings, and I brought you where you're, where you're now at. I brought you to myself. What an encouragement that is to the child of God. Amen. What encouragement that is to the child of God. We can be sure, listen, that whatever happens to us, we have a heavenly Father who is watching over us and that he is able to deliver us from every danger. He's able to carry us through the wilderness and he's able to bring us to the place that he has promised for each one of us. How reassuring is that? Amen. Aren't you thankful for God the Father? It may, now listen, it may not always seem safe, but how many knows we are safe? Because God's watching over us. It may, sometimes it may feel like events are out of control. You may feel like you're free falling sometimes, but how many knows God is in control? Not everything that happens to us may be good, but can I tell you this morning, he is good. Amen. And he is constantly watching over us. And the events in our life, what's going on in, in our life, God is using to bring us to the place where he wants us to be. God is always Always, always at work in our life to bring us to a place where he can fulfill his promises to us. That's, that's what he did for Israel. He said it, it may have seemed scary. You may not have always understood it. It might have seemed like uh, uh, when those, in those, during those times when you didn't have food and water, you were wondering, doesn't God know about this? Has God forgotten? God never forgets about his people. He's always at work in his, in his children's life, always working to preserve them and bring them to the place where he is going to fulfill the purpose, uh, fulfill the promises that he has made to you. I can tell you that this morning, that wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, God is going to use it 
to take you, to bring you to the place where he is going to fulfill the promises that he has made to you this morning. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So to the descendants of Israel, God said this, I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. And he says, now, therefore, this is verse 5, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and if you will keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, God's desire has always been the same. God's desire remains the same today. God's desire is to redeem to himself a people who will be his very own, a treasured possession whom he can save from destruction and whom he can show favor and to whom he can give eternal life. That's what God is doing for Israel here. He has, he has brought them to a place where he's going to make a covenant with them. The terms of that covenant will be um, spelled out in the following chapters. And so as we progress through the next few chapters, we're going to be spelling out the terms of the covenant that God is going to make with his people. But there are a couple of important points to be made before we come um, to the terms of the covenant itself. And one of those points is the very important observation that God's covenant, God's covenant includes not only those who are naturally descended from Israel, but all of those who are children of promise because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is a complicated point, and um, I don't have uh, the time this morning, and, and you probably don't have the interest <laughs> for me to go into great detail about it this morning, but Paul explains it. If you want to read more about it, and, and we'll probably talk more about it also, but if you want to read about it, Paul explains it in Galatians chapter 4, and he explains it in, in Romans chapter 9, but here's the takeaway, okay? Here's the takeaway. God had always intended... And Jesus Christ has now made it possible for Gentiles also to be grafted in as a branch of God's family tree. Aren't you thankful for that? So God has made a way for us, all of us, to be a part of his family. God has made a way through Jesus Christ that all of us can become God's treasured possession, a people uh, for himself. That means that the church is now also the people of God in covenant with him by faith and a part of his treasured possession. Verse number six helps us anticipate that when it says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We recognize that because that's how Peter refers to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so we are those that God has brought into relationship with himself. To make it clear, 
Peter, uh, to make it clear that he's including the Gentiles, Peter says this, once you were not a people. In other words, Gentiles at one time, we've talked about this, at one time you were alienated away from God. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can you say, thank God? Thank God. I said that I don't have enough time today to spend on that. Maybe we'll come back to it at some point um, in the future. But I do want to point out just very quickly a couple of errors that people sometimes make regarding the distinction between Israel and and the church, the first mistake that people sometimes make is to say that the church has now replaced Israel. That the church has replaced Israel. That's called replacement theology. And, and they, they say, well, Israel disobeyed, and so now they have been cut off, and so now the church is Israel. That's not what Scripture says. God, God has made some specific promises, has a specific covenant with the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the ethnic, the uh, biological, the descendants uh, of Jacob. And how many knows when God makes a promise, God keeps his promise. Amen? And if God doesn't keep his promise to the nation of Israel, then we can't trust God to keep his promise that he's made to us, right? So God's going to keep the promises that he made uh, to Israel. Another mistake is to make too sharp of a distinction between Israel and the church. That's, that's dispensational theology, and it, te- and it says this. It says, well, at one time, in one place, God saved Israel. God is going to save Israel in a particular way, but he's going to save the church in a different kind of uh, of way. How many knows that's also mistaken? They, because that creates different conditions for salvation. And the condition for salvation has always been grace by faith. Amen. So we as the church have been grafted into Israel. And Israel and the church, we are all now the people of God. Isn't that the one? We're all a part of the family of God. The important point this morning is that we have been included as the covenant people of God. That means he has brought us to himself to redeem us and to make us a treasured possession. But as I said, there are some important introductory points that need to be made about this covenant, the covenants that God makes with his people. And so I want to make those um, this morning. The first point is this, is before we even talk about the terms of the covenant. The first point is this, that God's covenant is always, it's by, it's by invitation only. It's by invitation only. And when they arrived in Sinai, the Bible says that the people camped and that the people were not allowed to come up on the mountain, but Moses alone went up to the mountain. And why did Moses go up to the mountain? It's because God called out to him from the mountain. And so Moses couldn't approach God himself unless God had done what? Invited him to come up. I've made this point, and, 
in um, other ways, but it needs to be repeated again this morning because it's so obvious here in the text. A covenant, a covenant with God, uh, and, and let's put it this way, a relationship with God would be impossible if God himself didn't initiate the relationship with us. We, we, can't, we can't approach God. He has to come to us. Amen? We, we can't presume to go to him, he has to invite us to come to him, to himself. To, to illustrate that fact, imagine um, in a few months from now, um, you receive an, uh, an invitation to go to the inauguration uh, of, of the president. I mean, what a privilege that would be to receive an invitation to go to the White House, right? But, but decide, uh, but... But imagine that you tell somebody, well, I've been invited to go to the inauguration. I'm going to go to the White House. And that person says, well, you know, I'm a citizen. I want to go to the inauguration. I want to go to the White House. I'm going to go to the White House too. And so you both show up and you both go to the gate and uh, you both try to get in to uh, the Capitol building where the inauguration is held. One of you has an invitation. One of you doesn't. Do you think there's going to be any difference in the way that you're received when you try to attend the inauguration of the President of the United States? Well, sure. If you presume to try to enter in without an invitation, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to get tackled and you're going to get unceremoniously taken out of the ceremony. But if you have an invitation, then how many knows the gate's going to be open, Right? And you're going to come in and you'll be able to attend. Thankfully, God has given us each one an invitation to come into his presence. Because we cannot presume to come into his presence by ourselves. There's no way that we are worthy to rush into his. God's word says that he, he dwells in unapproachable light. That he is perfectly holy omnipotent and powerful and there is no way that we can presume to rush into his presence or come to him unless he has invited us first i'm so thankful that god has given us an invitation into his into his presence god the good news of this passage that we see in this passage here is that God wants us to be with him. Do you see that in this passage? God, God says, with eagle's wings, I have, I have bore you on eagle's wings to do what? To bring you to myself. God's desire is that we would live in his presence. God's desire is that we would have a relationship with, with him. And although there are hindrances and there are obstacles to, do, to doing that, God is at work. God has been at work. God has accomplished a way so that we might be brought into the presence of God Almighty. The covenant is by, by invitation only, but God wants us to be with him. He wants us to be his treasured possession. God desires for us to have relationship with him. The second thing that I want you to um, notice about a covenant or that I want to point out about a covenant from this passage this morning is that a covenant necessarily involves 
obedience. Obedience. That's clear in verse number five where God says, if you will obey my voice, if you will keep my covenant. But here's the thing, and I want you to see this this morning because it's very important going forward. We always, 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 somebody say always, always overestimate our ability to obey. We always overestimate our ability to obey. When Moses returns to the people, God calls him up. He comes up and God says, tell this to the people. I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. If you'll obey uh, my voice, if you'll follow my, command, uh, my, my covenant, then I'll make you a treasured possession. When Moses returns to the people and he tells them what God said, how do the people respond? They say, no hesitation whatsoever. The people say what? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Everything, God, uh, yes, God, everything you say, we will do it. Now, uh, here's a, a spoiler alert because we haven't, haven't got there yet. You probably don't need a spoiler alert. <laughs> but, but the spoiler alert is that in just a few chapters, before the um, proverbial ink is dry, on the covenant. <laughs> it's not ink. It's actually written with God's finger. Uh, before, before the terms of the covenant are even known, the descendants of Israel are fornicating and they're worshiping a golden calf. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Um, all that the Lord says, we'll do. Oh, God, you don't have to worry about me. I'm going to be obedient I'm going to do what you tell me uh, to do. Um, here's the question. Do you think that God knew that Israel was not able to keep up their end of the covenant? Of course, <laughs> he did. Do you think that he was shocked that so soon after they had promised all that the Lord has spoken, we will do? But so soon afterwards, they were all doing what they ought not <laughs> to do. No, God wasn't shot. Listen, listen carefully to me this morning because um, I don't want you to think that this is an excuse to disobey God. But I, but I want you to understand this. Um, God's ability to perform his promises does not rely on your ability to keep yours. I should have got a bigger amen from that. So let me, let me say it one more time. God's ability to keep his promises does not depend on your ability to keep your promises. Thank God. Thank God. God. <laughs> you see, a, a covenant is not a contract. It's not a, an agreement that says, I will perform my obligations only if and only when you perform your obligations. A covenant is a promise that says, I will perform my obligations even if you fail to perform your obligations. <laughs> so even 
even when Israel was unfaithful, God remained faithful. Amen. Even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Amen. Now listen, that, that doesn't excuse, that's not an excuse for disobedience, but it does explain that we are not saved because we can perform our promises to God, but we are saved because he is faithful to do what he said he would do. Amen? Because God is faithful. It's not, it's not because we are faithful. Now listen, this is a very, very important thing coming as it does before the actual giving of the law, because it's meant to illustrate that nobody, listen, nobody is ever saved by keeping the law. That's, that's a point that I'll cover more in detail later, because nobody is capable of keeping the law. It's, it's impossible. Here's the point to remember. If God offered us salvation in exchange for our obedience then nobody would ever be saved. Nobody would ever be saved because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of his expectations. Now listen, I know that may offend some folks who think that they're perfect and that they got it all together. <laughs> but I'm telling you this morning, that's good news to those of us who know that we're not perfect. <laughs> Um, and who, by the way, we know that you're not perfect also. <laughs> God is faithful. And it, it doesn't rely on your obedience. It doesn't rely on your faithfulness. God is good. <laughs> and he loves us. And he desires to redeem us to himself. Now listen, let me stress it one more time. It's not an excuse for disobedience. We'll talk more about that later. Obedience is important, and it plays um, an important role in our covenant relationship with God. I have more to say about that later, but it is, it is not the basis of our salvation. Salvation is, salvation always has been, salvation is, salvation always will be by grace alone through faith just because God is gracious and kind and loving and so salvation is always by grace alone through faith alone while we were still sinners Jesus Christ died for us which brings up the final point that I want to make about God's covenant or the covenant that God makes with his people and that is this that a covenant requires a mediator a go-between um, and we see that in this passage very obviously. Who, who's the mediator of this covenant? Moses is the mediator. He's the go-between, between God and the people. The people could not approach God, but God called Moses and called Moses to himself. And so God spoke to the people through Moses. He said to Moses, you go and tell the people this. So Moses went to the people, told them what God said. And so then the people said to Moses, we will do what God says 
will obey him completely. And so Moses goes back to God and replies to God for the people. And so as the middle, if you will, the middle man between God and the people, Moses is the mediator of this covenant that God is making uh, with the people of, of Israel. And in this role, as we've seen before, in this role, once again, Moses is serving as a type of who? A type of Jesus Christ, who, who would serve as the mediator of the new covenant that we have with God. Um, however, the Bible says very clearly that Jesus serves as a mediator of a much better covenant. As Hebrews says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better since it has enacted, it, since it enacted on better promises. Did you hear that word? Better. I like that word, better. Amen. God always wants, can I tell you this morning, God always wants better for you. Where you're at this morning and what you're going through, what your situation is, good or bad, God wants better for you. God desires to bless you and show you favor. And everything that's happened in your life has brought you to the point that you're at right now. Whatever that point is, wherever you're at, so that God can do better things in your life. He's got a better future for you than you could even imagine. God has better promises than you even know of. God has better things in store for you than you can even think about. Amen. God has better things in store for us. So Jesus is the mediator of that better covenant. Now we're going to return to Hebrews in the weeks ahead. And we're going to learn more about what that means. But let me conclude this morning with another verse that's from 1 Timothy chapter 2, which says this. And this kind of sums up what I want us to get out of these verses anyway uh, this morning. It says, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 um, says, I, I forget, I didn't write down the verse. I think this is probably around verse number 3, somewhere around there. Um, but it says that God desires... That all people desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Mike, would you come to the piano this morning? Jesus Christ is a mediator of a better covenant because it was based, his covenant is based on his perfect sacrifice. Not the sacrifice of bulls and goats and lambs. And we'll read more about that system as we go forward in Exodus. But it was based on the sacrifice of the perfect lamb of God who came as a mediator between God and man. And he gave his life as the perfect sacrifice. One time, once and for all, he shed his blood so that we could be brought back into relationship with God the Father. So that we could be forgiven of our sins and so that we could be redeemed unto him and so that we can now be God's 
treasured possession. It doesn't rely on your obedience. It doesn't rely on your goodness. Thank God. It relies on Jesus Christ. That he was a perfect mediator. And he has made a way for us. Now, in preparation for the covenant that God was going to make with the nation of Israel, did you notice that God told Moses to go down? He said, go down to the people, consecrate them. He says, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. (laughs) And what do you think that's a reference to or an indication of? He's exactly right. That's a... That is an allusion to the future ministry of who? Jesus Christ, the mediator of the better covenant, right? Who came to consecrate the church, came to consecrate us to God. And it's a reference, obviously, to his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which happened on the third day. And aren't you so glad that because of Jesus Christ, we can be made clean, not, now listen, not by washing our garments, not by washing ourselves in basins of, of water or even with soap, sponges. <laughs> but now we are made clean by being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That he shed his blood for us so that we could be washed, so that we could be cleansed. <laughs> but no, no matter what we've done, what sins we've committed, no matter how unfaithful we've been, that we can say, God, you're faithful and you're good. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could be consecrated to God and made his treasured possession. Oh, isn't that good news this morning? Lift your hands to the Lord and would you just thank him for that this morning? Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.